Um, good morning, everybody. Um, I want to welcome us to church this um, beautiful Sunday morning. Amen. It is my prayer that God will once more add line upon line to us, that He will add precept upon precept to us. A little here, a little there. So that at the end of the day, we will be God's man, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us quickly pray this morning before we look at God's word. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the privilege of life. Thank you for the willingness to come to your temple to hear your word. Um, thank you for making us to love your habitation. Thank you for calling us into your presence to learn of you. We ask, dear Father, and everything, everything that we will learn today, everything that we will learn today, it will speak for us even in eternity in the name of Jesus. We will walk by these things. We will not be doers only. We will not be hearers only. We will be doers of your word. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. For where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flame to carry on you fire today. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flame to carry on new fire today. One more time. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flame to carry on new fire today. Make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all that you've given me, Jesus, bring new wine. Out of me, Jesus, bring me wine out of me. Cause where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, the kingdom is here. 
I lay down my old flame to carry on you far today. Hallelujah. You see, Jesus is still in the business of bringing out new wine. You know, the Bible tells us about the wedding at Canaan. How that during the ceremony, wine got finished. And how that it was through Jesus, by the obedience of Jesus, that new wine came into that ceremony. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. But then there is something very striking that the governor of the feast said there. The governor of the feast said that many men, or most men, they will, serve, they will serve their best wine at the beginning of the ceremony. Then at the end of the ceremony, they will serve their second, second choice wine. But then the, the governor of the feast said, but you have saved the best wine for last. And I feel like prophesying that God's best will be unveiled in these last days. That yes, we are in the last days, but even in these last days, these last days is the day of God's best. God's best wine will be served in these last days. God's choicest vessels will be served in these last days. God's outstretched hand will be served in these last days. In the name of Jesus Christ. So yes, we are confident. We are confident. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. All right, last Sunday we began to look at the topic, a man sent from God. Praise the name of Jesus. A man sent from God. And we called last Sunday part one. But this morning we are going to be looking at the part two of that same topic. A man sent from God. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles open with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. To put it in context, I'll start from verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twin he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I feel like pausing here to pass a quick comment on that verse 3. The Bible says the seraphims, they were crying one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, if you are not careful, there is a detail there you will miss. If you are not careful, you will think what the seraphims were doing was that they were praising God. Yes, they were praising God, but you will think that what the seraphims were doing there was that they were speaking to God. In other words, they were saying to God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But no, the scripture says that they were crying one to another. They were crying one to another. In other words, they were speaking one to another. They were having a conversation one to another. And the content of their conversation was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
And one of the lessons we can learn there as Christians is that many of the times it is not the intentional worship we do in church that really ascribes praise to God. One of the ways, one of the strongest ways and the most genuine way to ascribe praise to God is in our conversations. So two believers were sitting in a bus and they were talking and as a result of their conversation, the baseline of their conversation is that the Lord is holy, holy, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Two believers were sitting in the office and they were talking about the nation Nigeria. And the result of their conversation, what they were saying in that their conversation is that the Lord is holy and even Nigeria is full of his glory. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Because many times we, when we are passing a comment, not in church now, but when we are passing a comment, when we are discussing with friends, we think that because we are murmuring to our friend, it doesn't mean we are murmuring against God. But the children of Israel, there wasn't a time that the Bible recorded that the children of Israel murmured against God directly. They were murmuring to Moses, but God said they were murmuring against him. The same way, there's a way we talk, there's a way we order our conversations, and God will receive praise for our conversations. Praise the name of Jesus. I just felt like stopping to share that. But verse 4 says, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. Verse 7, And he laid it upon my mouth. And said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Again, let me pause to pass another comment. So this, this seraphim takes a live coal of fire from the altar of the Lord and uses it to touch the tongue, to touch the mouth of Isaiah the prophet. And the comment the seraphim passed is that because of this, your iniquity has been purged. Again, I'll go back to our conversation that it will be impractical for us to live a holy Christian life if we don't order our conversations aright. That there are so many things we do, we do I will be so surprised that why will I do some, something like this? Not knowing that because of some of the careless statements that we've made in time past. For example, a believer... Single or married, a believer cannot sit in a company of unbelievers and you'll be having a conversation on how to sleep with a woman. You'll be passing comment about a woman's bosom. But then he runs to church and he tells you, I have a weakness, I have a weakness, my weakness is women, my weakness is women. Meanwhile, if you check day after day the conversations he pays attention to, and the words that come out of his mouth, there are, there are words that strengthen his iniquitous life. So the Bible says to us, um, 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 in the book of Psalms, David speaking, he said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And, you know, we've learned so many times that that word meditation doesn't mean to think. That word meditation means to regurgitate. It means to mutter. 
It means to, to utter words. So deeper than the words that your mouth is saying, your heart is also uttering words. Praise the name of Jesus. And one of the ways to silence the words in your heart is to silence the words of your mouth. One of the ways to silence the words in your heart is to give the words in your is to give your heart instruction. Is to give your soul instruction. So David says to us, he says, um, he says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for thine expectation is from him. He says in another place, he says, Why art thou cast thou, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance. Now, if David was saying something like that and you were outside, you would think he was counseling somebody else. No, but he was counseling his soul. He said, My soul. He said, Why are thou cast down within me? And why are you disquieted? Why are you disquieted? So many times we try to conduct deliverances for people who tell you that they are hearing voices. They say we are hearing voices. I'm always hearing voices. And one of the one of the if one of the hearing voices is one of the effect of having a disquieted soul. You know a disquieted soul? A soul that has clamorings, a soul that has cravings, a soul that is apprehensive, that is agitated, that a soul that is anxious, a soul that is under pressure. That is what it means to have a disquieted soul. So David says, Why are thou cast down, O my soul? And why are thou disquieted within me? He says, Hope thou in God. Hope in God. He says, For I will yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance. Praise the name of Jesus. But let me continue, verse 8. The Bible says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord now, the voice of the Lord. Bearing in mind that since we started reading this particular chapter, the only voice that Isaiah had heard was the voice of the seraphims. But at this point, he began to hear the voice of the Lord. Are you sure I'm going to preach this message today? Because I also want to pass another comment here. Okay, so he says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Praise the name of Jesus. Okay, before we go into a man sent from God, let me pass another comment on that verse 8. So in verse 8, Isaiah says, The Lord said unto me, I heard the voice of the Lord. But you know, before he began to hear the voice of the Lord, a transaction happened in verse 7. The transaction that happened in verse 7 was that, from verse 6 now, the transaction that happened was that Isaiah noticed that he, he was a man of, he was undone, he was a man of unclean lips, he was dwelling amongst the people of unclean lips. And the seraphim came and touched his mouth with the tongue of fire. And the seraphim said, Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Then in verse 8, the Lord, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord. Again, I want to say that it would be it will not be possible for a person to hear God correctly if iniquity, if his iniquity has not been dealt with. It will not be possible for a person to begin to hear the voice of the Lord if his iniquity has not been dealt with. Because any attempt he makes to hear the voice of the Lord while harboring iniquity in his heart, he is going to be hearing the voice of his own iniquity, but he will think it is the voice of God. So if God wants to help you, one of the things he does is that he will take you through a class. That class is a class of repentance. That class is a class 
where iniquity is taken away. When that iniquity has been taken away, then you cannot begin to hear the voice of God. So hearing the voice of God is not a golden achievement. Hearing the voice of God is a resultant effect of what has happened in the heart of a man. His iniquity has been taken away. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, now, so let me get into my message. A man sent from God. So, as I heard in verse 8, the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall we send? Who will go for us? And the first comment I would like to pass on that particular scripture, or that particular statement, is this, sir. That God did not begin to speak to Isaiah about sending him until he realized that he was undone. Until he realized that he was unclean. God did not begin to, he, he, didn't, he didn't hear anything from God concerning his assignment, concerning purpose, concerning destiny. He didn't hear anything from God until his iniquity was taken away until he realized that he was undone. And you see, the first thing I would like to pass here is that many times, many times, the reason why God will not send a man into any field is because of that man's compromise. God will not begin to talk to you about purpose when you cherish iniquity in your heart. God will not begin to tell you about destiny when you still cherish iniquity in your heart. You cannot receive a commission from God when you still cherish iniquity in your heart. So yes, God wants to send. But the first thing God will introduce a person to or the, or the first thing God will introduce his church to or his body to is purging and cleansing. And so the truth of the matter is that it takes time. I will stay here long. We stay here long. And I hope you know that when God said that, who shall we send? Who will go for us? You know, you know, you know, that scripture. That scripture, you know, God says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? That scripture has been used to buttress the triune nature of God, the Trinity. So the Bible says, for example, in Genesis, God says, let us make man. So God was talking in in a sense of plurality, as it were. And he was making reference to the Trinity, the Godhead. And people also have said that, okay, God said, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And the us in, the script, in that scripture is also talking about the Godhead. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And yes, that is true. But I also like to say that when we get baptized into God, when we come into Christendom, when we come into the Christian faith, one of the things that happens to us is that we become fa- members of the family of God. So when God is saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The us, the, that us also cuts across his children. So God has a crop of people available to him. God has a, God has a crop of people 
that are his. And God is asking his crop of people who will go for us. That means this message that we want to send, every one of us has a stake in it. It is important to every one of us, but it is not every one of us that can bear the message. We need a person that will go for us. So yes, the body of Christ is powerful. The body of Christ is strong. The body of Christ is made up of believers. Praise the name of Jesus. But there are specific functions in the body of Christ that will not be achieved until a person appears on the scene to go for us. So the reason why God will call you into business is because God is telling you to go for us. And then you will realize that your calling is not just your calling. It is not just you that has something at stake in your calling. Your calling is generally... Your calling is for us. The success or failure of your calling will affect us. The the success or failure of your ministry, it will affect us. Because the word that came out of the mouth of the king is who will go for us. So many times when God sends a man and that man appears on the scene, that man came for us. That is why correct ministry, accurate ministry can never be done by competition. If you begin to compete with a fellow minister, you should know that you are far from Zion. You are, you are, you are, you are running your own errand. Because one of the reasons why God chose the language body to describe the church is to explain to us that this thing is a system. This thing is a system. It, it's it is interconnected. And so the functionaries in that body, the apostles, the pastors, the preachers, the administrators and all of that, the people in the body of Christ must collaborate, not compete. Because every ministry, every assignment, every calling is for us. And I hope you know that every calling and assignment is an offshoot of Jesus' ministry. That the reason why anybody will have any ministry to even start with is because Jesus started something. And so Jesus says to us, and Jesus says, not directly to us, but Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. And then he goes to the grave. And then he comes. And then he says to the disciple, go into all the world. For his name of Jesus Christ. So this is a relay. It's a relay. And as much as it is important for us to start well, it is much more important for us to finish well. Praise the name of Jesus. It is important for us to start well. It is much more important for us to finish well. And what am I trying to say? That if you are conversant with a relay race, it is not the strength of the person that started the journey that will, as it were, confirm that that particular team will win. Everybody who is going to bear that touch, or who is going to bear that button rather, is supposed to run it efficiently and accurately because at the end of the day, the result of the relay race is the cumulative effort of everybody. For a relay, there is no, it doesn't make any sense for there to be individual brilliance. Amen. Individual brilliance does not have anything to do with the relay. So yes, Jesus Christ has Jesus Christ demonstrated his brilliance by the level of efficiency and effectiveness with which he ran his ministry and did his assignment. Praise the name of Jesus. 
But he also wants us to become effective soldiers of his. That was why Paul said to Timothy, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. Because this thing that Jesus Christ came to accomplish is also dependent on us. So it is who will go for us. And I feel like saying what I said last week, that what we see in the Bible is that there was a man sent from God. We didn't see that there was a man sent by God. And that is because everyone God will send, God will send out of himself. God will send out of his community. You know some people will say, God can use anybody. God can use anybody. God can use a drunkard. I don't know. Why is it that it is drunkards? They used to speak truth. You know that thing that Nigeria film has cost? So we feel because you are drunk, you have the gift of prophecy. Yeah, that's what Nigeria film tells us now. Because you are drunk, you have the gift of prophecy. So a drunkard will not be telling you, you, you are a witch. You know the way it happens in Nigeria film. Snap out of it. It's not true. <laughs> the word of God says, why is a mocker? And let me quickly explain some of the reasons why some of those drunkards, it seems as if they are saying truth. the truth is because sometimes they have witnessed some of these things when they were sober. And one of the things that drunkenness does is that when you are drunk, the content of your soul begins to come out. Because drunk, a drunken man does not have time for diplomacy. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. So, last week we, we, we said, a man that is sent from God speaks the word of God, acts as God's representative, is one who bears witness and is born witness by God, is one who makes straight the paths of the Lord, right? That's where we ended. Yeah. Okay, today I want us to quickly look at how to bear God's message. How to bear, how to bear God's message. Yes, because, you see, there is an there is should I, is it and how now or a how and how or a how there is a how okay there is a way to bear God's message you don't just bear God's message anyhow the Bible says the labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. So it is not laboring, laboring as it were, laboring, 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 that generates results. They say how to labor. They say what to labor. You know, just like Pastor Banky was sharing with us, that you know the way some motivational speakers tell you be consistent, you must be persistent, you must be insistent, be persistent, be persistent. That persistence will only help you if you are doing the right thing. Because there is no use for you to be persistently wrong. You are on the wrong path, but you are persistent. You are engaging it the wrong way, but you are persistent. You are solving further math, and you don't know the. You don't know. You, for example, you are solving differential calculus, and you don't know the basic rules of differentiation. You don't know the basic rules. You are just doing uh, the y, the x, the lambda, the this, the y, the x, the this, the this, the v, the u. That's what you are just doing. You don't, you don't know how it works. And instead of you to calm down to learn, 
You are being told be persistent, be persistent, be persistent, be persistent. So you know what the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes? He said, if the iron is blunt, you will have to exact much strength. He says, but wisdom is profitable to direct. What does it mean? It means that if the iron is blunt, you will be, you will be hitting it, you will be sweating. People will be saying, oh, what a hardworking man. What a hardworking man. This man is a hard worker. This man is a hard worker. Not knowing that the iron you are using is blunt. So if you have eight hours to cut down a tree, it will do you what you will be, you will be a wise man if you spend the first six hours to sharpen your machete or your cutlass. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So there is a right way to engage. There's a right way to engage. That is why you see mathematics, even though I'm not so good at maths, but mathematics, I like mathematics for one thing. You know, what you basically do in mathematics is to learn the how. When you learn the how, eh, there is no question that comes to you. Because you know the how, you will know how to go about it. Whereas in other subjects, you can cram and pass. But in mathematics, if you miss the how, you are not getting any results. If you miss the how, you are not getting any results. And if you understand the how, no matter how the question is being twisted, you will be able to go around it. And that is how life is. Life is like mathematics. If you don't know the how, you will keep engaging, but you will not get any results. But you will keep engaging. And you know me, I'm not a result. result uh, but I'm just trying to say to us that even God's message, there is a way to bear it. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I will share some of these things, and I believe that the Holy Spirit will write on these things and give us greater understanding. Because you see, one of the things that me, I, I, I trust God for is that as we are talking, deeper than what we are saying, People will be getting an understanding that's even deeper than what we are saying. That is what it means for the teaching anointing to be present. The teaching anointing doesn't necessarily have to be coming from the mouth of the preacher. The teaching anointing can be atmospherical. So much so that a scripture you read at home, you didn't understand. You enter into an atmosphere, you understand it. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. So I, I trust the Lord to open up, to open up these things. Amen. So how to bear God's message? The first point I would like to share in this how to bear God's message is found in the book of Proverbs chapter 25 verse 13. Proverbs 25 verse 13. Proverbs chapter number 25 and in verse 13. The Bible says, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him. For he refreshed the soul. Kai. For he refreshed the soul of his masters. Have you seen it? You've seen it, right? Proverbs 25, verse 13. The Bible says, As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him. For he refreshes the soul of his masters. So the first method on how, sorry, the, the, the way 
the first way, <laughs> the first way I would like to bring to our attention to on how to bear God's message is that God's message must be born faithfully. It must be born faithfully. It says like the code of harvest, the code of snow in the time of harvest. So it's a faithful messenger to them that sent him. For he refreshed the soul of his masters. You know, there are portions of faithfulness that have been emphasized. And these portions are true and accurately so. It's just that these portions that have been emphasized has only been emphasized on the part of the faithful. Right? It has not been emphasized on the effect it has on the sender. So, for example, we, we have been made to know that when a person is faithful in little, he will, he will be faithful in much. And that if you are faithful in a little, more will be committed unto you. So when we study faithfulness, we study faithfulness along the line of the resultant effect of faithfulness in your own life as a person. Right? However, this scripture now tells us the effect of your faithfulness on God. That as you remain faithful to the message that you have been sent, you are refreshing the soul of your master. That occasionally, occasionally, see, not occasionally now, that every day of our lives that we remain faithful to the assignment, to the calling, to the message that God has given to us, there is an effect it has on God. And yes, that is not to take anything away from the almightiness or the sovereignty of God because, you know, people have, people have, um, said to us that there's nothing you can do to God, there's nothing you can take away from God and that is true but the Bible also tells us things like not grieving the Holy Spirit Amen that means there is a way my life will be and to bring grief to the Holy Spirit the same way there is a way my life will be and it will refresh the soul of the Father because one day in, in, it happened twice in the scripture it happened twice in scripture. The first time it happened was in the book of Genesis. The Bible says, and it repented God that he made man. Have you come across that scripture? That means God regretted that he made man. That means on the earth, what God was seeing was a decay, was a decadence. But you know the next person that achieved that feat with God in scriptures? It was Saul. What the entire human race did, eh? what the entire human race did, only Saul did it. So much so that God came to Samuel, the prophet, and says to Samuel, he said, it repented me that I made Saul king. He said, I am regretting that I need something. And so a person can be anointed. A person might be sent. And God forbid, 
that one day God will be passing a comment about our lives in heaven. And he will say, I regret that I made this person this. I regret that I sent this person. And you see, even if God doesn't stretch his hand to strike you, when the God of the heavens and the earth utters a kind of, that kind of statement concerning you, you are not likely to live long. Now, God will not, I'm saying, God is not actively trying to kill you or to get you out of the way. He just made that kind of statement. The God of the whole earth made that kind of statement. Because you see, it is only human beings that because we have choice, sometimes God will say something, we say we will not do it. The entire creation dances according to the mood. Permit me to use that word. According to the mood of the master. So if God is not happy, the earth literally will begin to quake. And so if God is not happy towards a man, when the earth will realize that our master is not happy towards this man. And so even the sun and the moon and the earth and the trees, all of them will be weaponized against you. Praise the name of Jesus. So scripture says to us that God looked one time and he said, it repented me that I made some food. But on the flip side, on the flip side, on the flip side, the Bible says that a faithful messenger refreshes the soul of the master. And it's a privilege that in our lifetime, it's a privilege that mortal men like us will be able to do anything to get God excited. We'll be able to do anything to get God excited. And that is why I'm going. That when God sends you, he might not give you, you might not be a preacher, so he might not give you a message to preach, but there was the purity of an idea he gave to you. That idea becomes your message to this generation and to the one to come. And the more you see, because you see, when a person says, I think, I think we should begin to do this. When a person says to you that God has called me into the business, the business world, ask the person, so what message has the Lord called you to preach? And then the person might say, didn't you hear me? God didn't call me to pulpit ministry. God called me to business. Ask the person again, so what message did God call you to preach? Because the reason why you are sent to, bis- to, 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 to the business world or to the academic world is because God wants to drop a message. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. God wants to drop a message. And for you, that message might just be integrity. And it was solely because of integrity that God is calling to business. You know, there's something that we've taught people. And I'm seeing that, see, un- unless we quickly arrest the situation, it will cascade into something else. You know what it is? We think that, you know, we say to people that you are a kingdom finan- financier. And what people read from being a kingdom financier is that they're supposed to be in business. So they are in business because they have been told that they have the prosperity anointing. Meanwhile, when God calls a person to business, the first thing God wants to achieve is not to get you to prosper, to push the gospel. That's not the first reason. The first reason God calls you to business is that he is calling you to preach a message. And that message might be integrity. You know, you know another message that it might be? Another message that God might send you to preach in business can be that by the blessing of God, a land can become fertile. That could be your message. And if you know, if, 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 you, if you are 
been exposed to know that the message God called me to preach is integrity. If you are in academics and you know that the, the, the message God called you to preach is to raise, is to raise an excellent generation. Praise the name of Jesus. And a generation that will be able to communicate the depths of God. And a generation that will be able to preserve the heritage of God. A generation who will be giving to... Because you see, one of the things that is happening, sir, is that the culture of reading and writing is gradually becoming eroded. So much so that a graduate, a person can be a graduate and there are some basic words they cannot spell. They cannot spell people. They only know the shorthand of people. If you tell them spell people, they can't. And God might be calling you back into the academic field and he's telling you that, see, there's a message I want you to preach. That message is that this generation should learn how to write and how to read, have a writing and a reading culture. Everything you do in that school, whether your, your students win cowbell competition and all of that, everything you do in that school, until at the end of the day, until at the end of the day, your school was able to produce people who have a reading and a writing culture. You are not faithful to the message. Praise the name of Jesus. If you are doing a business and God wants to preach integrity to your, through your business, know that your work will be rejected the moment you begin to double your hands into bribery and corruption. Because there is a message. There is a message. This is how to be faithful to a message. It doesn't, you, don't, you don't have to be preaching it as it were with your mouth. But the assignment God has given to you becomes your message. For some people, it could simply be that the reason why God is telling you to start a business is to preach to people that business is not about profit. And that becomes your message. But you see that the profit will come. Hmm? The profit will come. But everyone who comes around your life, everyone who comes around your business, everybody who works for you will learn a particular culture. Now the reason why we do things is not because of what we will gain. That becomes your message. And then you, you are supposed to, because when God gives you a message, he expects that you carry the message. You bear the message. You embody the message. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So, if you know that your, your business is supposed to be built, it's supposed to preach integrity, sir. You're supposed to create systems around your business that will preach integrity. So much so that anybody who is given to lying, if they come to work for you, they know they can't. They know it's either they change or they go. Because one of the, one of the things I've learned, sir, is that it is very difficult for people to raise standards. Me and my wife used to have that conversation very well. A person might start a school, but to raise standards for his employees, he will not be able to. And every of our standards must be built on God. Every family must have a standard. Every business must have a standard. And the standard of your business should be the message you are preaching. 
You cannot have a school and God is calling you to restore the reading and writing culture. And because you don't want to offend somebody, you know a teacher who doesn't read, who doesn't write, but he was recommended to you by one of the wealthiest parents in the, in the school. And you say, let me employ him. Or let me employ her. You know, let, let me just employ her because I don't have a problem. The moment you do that, you are becoming unfaithful to your message. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Reverentially speaking, now let it be that when somebody, one soul somewhere, has made God to repent, has made God to regret, when God turns his face and looks towards your establishment, his soul will be refreshed. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The second way to bear God's message, the second way to bear God's message is to bear it obediently. Is to bear it obediently. The second way to bear God's message, how to bear God's message, is to bear it obediently. First Kings chapter 13. I might not read everything, but um, let me just at least open there. First Kings chapter 13, verses 11 to 15. Verses 11 to 15. First Kings chapter 13. Verse 11 to 15, it talks about the story of the old prophet and the new prophet. So the Bible says in verse 11, Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done, and had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, and them, and, and them, sorry, unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says in verse 17, for this is the young prophet speaking now. He said, It was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt not eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. Verse 25. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcasses cast in the way, and the lions standing by the carcass. And they came and told it to, and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, so um, okay, but let me let me read verse twenty. I want to tie some scriptures. Verse 20, the Bible says, And it came to pass as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came to Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water, thy carcass shall, come, shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So, there was a, a, a young prophet that God sent to 
go and bring correction. Right? And why, because of the way the correction manifested, when an old prophet came, it was told the old prophet, this was what a young prophet came to do. And then the, the old prophet now meets the young prophet and tells him to come back to eat and drink. Whereas God had given the young prophet a commandment not to do so. While they were eating and drinking, it was by the mouth of the old prophet that God prophesied the death of the young prophet. <laughs> Let me borrow the words of Pastor Banki. Pastor Banki said, You will die faster when you disobey the instructions of God, you know, for the one somebody else is telling you. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. So, to bear God's message, we must be obedient. To bear God's message, we must be obedient. The Bible says to us, Samuel speaking to Saul now. Samuel says to Saul, he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. But somehow we have been made to think that sacrifice is better than obedience. So God gives an instruction for you to follow in his word. And you think because you are a big giver in church, that has earned you the right to disobey the instruction that God has given. A person who will bear God's message must bear God's message obediently. Because you see, obedience is the way by which the power of God flows into the life of a man. We are as powerful as our obedience, sir. Every one of us is as defended as our obedience. Every one of us is as powerful. Every one of us is as dependent. Every one of us, sorry, every one of us is as glorious as our obedience. So you want to gain stature with God. You must learn how to obey him. And please, the obedience I'm talking about is not the obedience of, you say, the Lord said to you, marry this person. The Lord said to you, marry that person. No, no, no. That's the secondary level. I'm talking about the groundwork, the foundation, the, the primary level of obedience is that every word of God that you see in scriptures and you understand should be obeyed. And you know, sir, you know, there are different levels to disobedience. Of course, disobedience is disobedience, but there are different levels. Number one, there's a kind of disobedience that is as a result of ignorance. So you didn't know. That's why you are doing what you are doing. There's another kind of disobedience that is as a result of ignorance of the consequence. That means you knew, but you didn't know that this is the consequence. For example, you were just introduced to the truth. So a preacher had preached it somewhere. And you're like, eh, okay, no problem. You didn't really understand the implication of disobeying that particular instruction. You know, that's another level of disobedience. Then there is a level of disobedience where you know, you know the consequence, you know the sensitivity involved, but you chose to disobey. That's the one that kills. The one that they tell you that God has said, speak, don't speak lie one to your neighbor. Right? You say you know. And you know that the Bible says, all liars shall have their portion in the lake of fire. You know. But this Sunday, we need to pay church rent. 
So let's look for a way to cajole the people to give. Let's place actors in the church. Let's place actors in the church. Let them come and act. So when we say, who will give one million? Actors will run out. So that as they are run, running out, they can lure people who have the ability to give. You make that kind of a decision, you, won't, you are not likely to live long. But let me step away from preaching. You know God does not want you to cheat. As a businessman, as a security personnel, God does not want you to cheat. But this particular day, you are under pressure. You need, you need a, a few bucks. And so somebody comes to you and the person appears like a novice. Oh, 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 I feel like saying this. There is one God hates, sir. There is one God hates. When you realize that a person is a foreigner in your place. A foreigner, I'm not saying American. I'm saying that when you realize that a person does not know the terrain. You notice that this person is, is speaking, probably speaking Igbo or is speaking Hausa. And now he has come to Lokoja. He's trying to get something done. He doesn't know the terrain. If you cheat that person because he doesn't know the terrain, God will personally punish you. Check the instruction God gave to the children of Israel. He told them how to relate with foreigners among them. If you take advantage of a foreigner because he's a foreigner, God is going to punish you. Because I believe one of the reasons why the children of Sodom and Gomorrah had to suffer the judgment of God was depicted. How is it that you heard that visitors came to the house of Lot? And what you wanted to do was for Lot to bring out those visitors so that you can sleep with them. Because they are foreigners. People do that a lot. There are some people that, that, that form bad guys. Is this our area? So when they see a new person in town or a, a new face, they want to take advantage of him. Normally they wouldn't steal. But the day they see a new person around carrying a bag, that's the day they want to steal. They want to take advantage of him. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Back to my gist about disobedience and obedience. I am saying to us that everything will live long as a result of his disobedience. As a result of its obedience, rather. That when a place is pumped with disobedience, when a place has been built on lies and fabrication, it is not likely to live long. And you cannot claim to be doing the work of God while engaging the method of Satan. It was Elijah that said to them, he said, how long are you standing between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If God is God, follow him. But you are not permitted to stand in between two opinions. God doesn't take it lightly. You cannot say that you have a message from God, but you are engaging the works of Satan. And there are people who will tell you, when they, they want to criticize, they will criticize pastors that are using charm and juju from babas and all of that. Not knowing that even they, they are engaging the power of Satan. Because Jesus said to us, Jesus said that the devil is the father of all liars. And all of you are his children because you are telling lies. That means that if you have a business that is built on lie, your business is an offspring of the devil. That's what children means now, right? A, ch- a child is an offspring. So we must obey 
the instructions of God will know. That is how to bear, that's one of the ways to bear God's message. That is one of the ways to bear God's message. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise and glory. We give you praise and glory. We give you praise and glory. We will follow after you faithfully. We will follow after you obediently. Thank you, Jesus.